We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're watching this thing, you know by now a huge problem is heading our way. An emergency meeting is being called at our usual place immediately. Free bagels. I've made a shocking discovery. I need you to get me in touch with NASA immediately. Well, NASA and I aren't really on speaking terms these days. Well, that'll change. When you tell them that the moon is out of orbit. There's no need to panic. Not crazy! Why are they lying about all this? It's too late to stop. You knew all this was happening before NASA. You are the unidentified source? Oh, yes. We're dealing with an intelligent entity. We're planning a mission to attack this thing. I'm asking you for your help. Say yes, Brian. I need you to be brave. If the moon really is what you think it is, suit up. I've got a big gravity wave coming your way. You have to launch now. Did he say gravity wave? I see trouble on the way. We're underwater, guys. Uh, that's crazy. I hear hurricanes are blowing. Well, let's slow down. What's the plan? Save the moon, save Earth. What are you doing? It's flying itself! Wait for it. Let's go, you son of a... For this bonus episode, we are once again talking about the career of Roland Emmerich and his latest film, Moonfall. This is starring Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, John Bradley, Michael Pena, Charlie Plummer, Yu Wen Wen, Donald Sutherland. Uh, I, th- I think that's that. I'll go. Carolina Batarak, or that's how you pronounce it. Kelly Riley is in this. Kelly Riley is in this. I said enough people that are in this movie. The 
story is as follows in 2022 humanity will face the dark side of the moon that's actually funny might be the funniest part of the movie it's the, the poster is the best part of the movie uh, a mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit and around, oh, excuse me, a mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit around Earth and sends it hurtling on a collision course with life as we know it. So can I just, can I start here? As I, I, when I first got to this, like, like I went to the IMAX screening in, in Lincoln Center and the opening shot of this movie is breathtaking. Like they show the 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 two astronauts working on a ship, um, the 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 Earth in the background, and like you get to see space and all its scale on the IMAX screen. And I was like, you know what? I just argued with Oz that like the movie experience is dead, but this is exactly what he's talking about. That like we need to protect this, and that we need to make sure that people are able to go see movies like Moonfall on the biggest screen possible. Then the next two hours happened. And by the end, it was like, I very much wish I could have stopped watching this on Netflix at any point. Uh, this is why movies are dying because the budgets like this get approved and uh, scripts apparently don't. And you get movies like this. Uh, objectively, this is, this is very bad. Unfortunately, um, you've already written a scathing review of this movie. Do you have any additional thoughts you'd like to add in audio form of the movie Moonfall? Oh boy! Look, oh boy! <laughs> I don't, I don't like killing movies. I really don't like. Every, in a way, every movie is kind of a miracle. Like it's really, really hard to make a movie, and it's really easy for us to sit here at our little podcasting chambers talking about how shitty something is. But like this movie is a unique level of bad. And part of it, it it's it's almost inconceivable to me. This thing costs a hundred and fifty million dollars to make. And there are no actors in this movie who who are getting that big a, a salary what what's Halle Berry's quote going to be these days like five million dollars max yeah. I can't imagine it's even that Wilson and John Bradley and like two and a half minutes of Donald Sutherland these people are not getting paid is is Roland Emmerich making like a hundred million dollars to direct the a movie majority because, of this budget is the the moon and the earth like but, the destruction yeah but the special effects are are bad yeah I mean, th- it looks it looks chintzy it looks cheap. It looks unfinished for a movie that's been delayed for a while because of COVID. You'd think that some of that intervening time could be used to correct it. I mean, I don't want to get into the Marvel thing yet, but I do want to talk about Emmerich's thoughts on Marvel, but Spider-Man, while it was in theaters released a version with slightly improved special effects because they were like, you know what? We were working up until the minute we had to lock this movie let's keep working and get it right so that the movie that exists for posterity has like the right start of sparkly stuff around the, the Dr. Strange circles. Great. Make it the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. This movie has compositing. Compositing is when you put characters in front of a background and you, you put the background behind them. You're compositing the image that looks like it comes from a bond movie in the sixties when they would be sitting on like a soundstage and they would just like pretend that there was like a thing behind them when they're, they're mm-hmm. driving around. 
I, I don't understand how nobody looked at this. It would look bad on a on a TV. It looks incredibly bad on an IMAX screen. I don't understand how nobody looked at this and was like, this is embarrassing. This looks like a sci-fi channel original movie. There's a car chase late in this movie. Why there's a car chase in this movie is something that the movie doesn't justify at all. Because it's sponsored by Alexis. Uh, that's, that's, actually, that's actually part of it. And that's even worse. Like, Bond Bond movies cost if they didn't use the sponsors like three hundred and fifty to four hundred million dollars. They shoot on location all over the world, doing incredible stunts. They defray all that stuff through through sponsorships. They defray all that stuff through tax incentives. There's a lot of ways to to cheapen the cost of movies. This was was made in like a fucking warehouse in China, and I, I don't understand. Like I I don't understand for the life of me why nobody looked at these scenes in this hundred fifty million dollar movie and said. We can't, we can't put this out there. We cannot put a movie that is is clearly not even remotely finished out onto the screen. It reminds me of some of those movies that you hear about that are taken away from the director and chopped to hell, and you end up getting like an eighty-four minute movie that doesn't really make any sense. But it's clear they were just like, we've got nothing. We're stuck. We're just going to get something out because we have to contractually. Mm-hmm. But Roland Emmerich is out there like on the PR campaign, like crazy for this talking about how it's like the movie he's most proud of is his entire career. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm mind blown. Like I, I almost wonder, I saw it also at a screening in IMAX, but I was in times square. I wonder if they like sent us a, a rough draft of it or something like that, because I cannot reconcile in my mind how this movie that came out in 2022, which has approximately the same budget of the Roland Emmerich movies that he made in 2013 for Day After Tomorrow, or mm-hmm. sorry, 2003 yeah. for Day After Tomorrow, to say. and like what? White House 2000 down in 2013, yeah, yeah, 2000, and I think nine is 2012, 2012, yeah. So 20 years ago. The CGI, it's not practical effects in Day After Tomorrow, like Independence Day. The fucking CGI in Day After Tomorrow looks radically better than the CGI here. I, I'm I'm mind blown. The actors are bigger names in Day After Tomorrow than they are here. And I guess, yes, the Day After Tomorrow budget is a little bit bigger, but special effects are better now. It, mm-hmm. there, it is inconceivable that a $150 million movie looks so much worse than an episode of Book of Boba Fett. It's not just Book of Boba Fett. Like, why does Yellow Jackets have better special effects than than this? Like Roland Emmerich is supposed to make special effects driven disaster movies, and these are the worst special effects that I have seen in a major, like high budget motion picture ever. So I second everything that you said on the visual effects. I felt like bored at a certain point because there was like, like the money shot, which. I did appreciate of New York when the moon is va- like quickly approaching it. Like, yeah. Okay. I've seen this in like every disaster movie that like the here, we are here to destroy New York city. And it's like cool for a second. And then like, you see the seams, you see the, the unfinished nature that you're talking about and how like, all right, this doesn't, this doesn't is, this isn't hitting a certain way. And I think the element that I wanted to to expand upon it's just how very little I care about any of the characters in this movie. When I talked about Independence Day, what works so well is I'm given reasons to care about the stakes. Like the journey to the moon to save the earth should be like in its simplicity, self-explanatory why you care. But the reason I care about everybody surviving and then what we get in the climax of this movie is like it, 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 why I don't care is because I don't I don't have an attachment to anybody except 
hints of John Bradley. But even that in the third act is just completely expositioned away with some of the most ridiculous third act like plot. Ex- uh, like, man, I, I don't even want to. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but like, go read the, the the Wikipedia synopsis of this and just realize that's what we watched. The explanation of why the moon is coming closer to the earth is ridiculous. And I don't know how that, because I think if you just take that out and then take some other like very small, unnecessary character plots out, this is like a tight hour 45 and it's a mission to save earth from the moon coming closer it's like i thought about armageddon our one of your favorites and like the nature of like oh yeah the, the, there's a comet coming we need to go drill a bomb into it like that's very simple i thought about godzilla versus kong and how like i don't care about the people in it but i care enough that they're just placeholders until all the cool godzilla versus kong thing comes back on screen this made me appreciate Don't Look Up significantly more as like a disaster movie that knows like this is like a ridiculous plot, but it's going to have messages and moments and like have a moment of like, oh, yeah, by the way, this is how the government would respond to an emergency situation like this incorrectly, where it's just bomb the thing. Yeah. Bomb the moon as it's like 20, 20 minutes away. You're like, what are we doing? Um the characters are just so poorly written and so poorly introduced. I will say, and it's why it's not a zero for me. There's three things I like, and it's that money shot that I was talking about the first time that we see New York and the, the, the moon getting closer and the shading and the first time you see it, it's good. And then it gets bad. John Bradley. I worry about these TV famous actors when they go into other things, like the first time you saw Emma Watson go in to do movies, I was like, all right, that's Hermione. Like, I don't, I don't Every see Thrones you. actor. So like this. game of Thrones has that problem. It literally in Eternals, when you have Kit Harrington calling and John Madden calling another character, Cersei, like it's hard not to avoid. I felt, but even like Pompeii to pick a different disaster movie by another, right. uh, that's, uh, that's Richard Madden. And that's, yeah, that's Richard Madden. And, He's no, just playing no, John Snow. Pompey is Pompey is Harrington. I mean, sorry, Kit Harrington. But yes, yeah, playing. But, yeah, yes, sorry, playing John Snow. I agree with you. Um, but like, I did feel like Bradley became the Doctor in this movie. I did feel like he disappeared from Sam Tarley and was able to accomplish at least that for his own career. That I'm curious to see what he is in something else where he wasn't just Sam Tarley along for the ride. There is a legitimate empathy you feel for this character and like his situation with his mom and the way other people treat him, even though he's clearly intelligent um, and the, the heroic nature that his character eventually gets. The problem is that there's so much other stuff added into it and I just I can't enjoy it at all. I I can't. And it's it's unfortunate because, like you said, I don't want to pile on Roland Emmerich, but this is a gigantic swing and miss. Oz, you know, the John Bradley thing is interesting. I I think he's actually good in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like uh, uh, Halle Berry is is not. um, No, Patrick Wilson just doesn't really have anything to do. It's a very thankless role. Um, there's just a lot of actors, but I mean, Donald Sutherland has to read some like embarrassing exposition for two minutes and he hammed his way through it and then, you know, go, goes back to sleep. And Bradley, like actually really is trying to humanize this like conspiracy theory wackadoo character. And I think mm-hmm. does a really good job of it. There's something about that, that 
all by itself that leaves me with a gross taste in my mouth. Like we're we're in the era of conspiracy theories actually starting to do harm. We're in an era where people believe in stolen elections. Mm-hmm. We're in an era where people believe in like microchips in vaccines. So a movie that celebrates frankly like borderline like deifies a conspiracy theory nutter who is best friends with a whole bunch of other fucking wacko conspiracy theory people you know like fake assassination attempt people and makes him the hero makes him sympathetic and makes him right the only scientist on earth who believes this incredibly stupid thing that the moon is like made out of like a sun inside of it and it's a machine or some (laughs) stupid ass shit the only person who believes something so fucking stupid is right against all of the scientific expertise in the world is legitimately a concerning message for me for a movie like this to celebrate in our current atmosphere in 2022. Look, say what you want in movies, make what you want in movies, but then I get to take away from it what your message is. Like, I'm not saying you can't make a movie about a heroic conspiracy theory, wacko, but I get to take swings at you when you choose to make your movie about a heroic conspiracy theory wacko. And I left the theater feeling a lot more negative because I was like, why the fuck did I just watch a movie where Alex Jones saves the world? Yeah. That's fucked up. And I don't like the fact that, that Bradley is so good at humanizing the shitty character and makes it work so well. No, no shade on him. He's doing his job. Mm -hmm. It's a really fucking icky thing, and it it's it's just not the the take that I would expect. It's like borderline propagandistic, and I, I really I really did not appreciate that feel from this movie. And I I don't like being nasty to movies, but the fact that the movie chose to settle on that as the messaging has has left me feeling a lot harsher towards it than I might otherwise have. Yeah, I think so. The moment he's proven right is like when they get inside the moon and then that exposition dump happens. And I think I just like forgot that whole, like they, they see the fields and it's like, Oh, he was right. When he mentions the other, one of his friends, that's a conspiracy theorist that I, I just, I, I thought the car went so out of control that I forgot they were going in the wrong direction. Well, because um, scenes are missing. There are parts yeah. like that, that actually have, there, there's a scene with like criminals on the ground. That makes no sense. It, there's yeah. no, coherence like they're on the all the like kids of the main characters are trapped by these criminals then in the next scene they're like going to a tent city and then like five minutes later they're going to like get supplies like oxygen supplies and the criminals just randomly show up again for a horrible chase scene it makes no sense yeah we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, especially when you juxtapose it with how the government behaves in this movie, which would then lead into uh, validating some of the other conspiracy theories about like the government knew all along that all this is true. Um, It makes it a little bit more dangerous. So you like Michael Pena in this movie? I do. I think that Michael Pena takes a literal zero character and makes it sort of sort of heartwarming. I think there's a a nice scene with his daughter in the film, which I think is effective. I think that there's a scene where, you know, he's the stepfather to, to um, Patrick Wilson's son in this movie. I think he has a nice scene with him where he basically says, look, I'm just, I don't want to be in an awkward situation. You don't want to be in an awkward situation, but I love you. And I'm trying to do my best for you. I think that Pena always, always brings the, the best out of these thankless roles he's stuck with a movie with some balls would have cast Michael Pena instead of another boring white guy as the lead. Michael Pena rocks. That guy's funny. He brings a weird off kilter energy. If that guy was the heroic astronaut, this would have been a better movie just because of the energy that he brings to it. I look, do I think his character is good and works? No, it's, it's, there's a, it is zero on the page. This is a thankless awful character that he gives a little bit of humanity to. And I think he always does. I think in end of watch in Ant-Man in all of these things that he's in that are not focused on him. He always manages to bring an extra level more than the part deserves and more than exists on the page. And frankly, like someday this guy is going to get the role that he deserves. I hope. And then we're all going to regret that, you know, he's fucking the fifth actor in the cast in a dog shit movie like this. So, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I actually think the appreciation I have for Michael Pena is why I wish he wasn't in this movie. 
That's fair too. Um, that entire side plot of it's the ex-wife and the stepfather and the two kids and like Halle Berry's kid and her ex-husband, I cared about none of it. So and the, when they're the nanny that conveniently speaks Chinese right, so that they can just, get it released. Shows up an yeah. hour, shows up an hour and change into the movie and then plays one of the more important parts at the end, so it, but I don't care. So it can be released in China. Like, let's be cynical and clear about what, so what that is. If that's you what add that a Chinese speaking character, so you get a release in China. Fine. If that's what that is, more power to you, Roland Emmerich. But like, that's what adds to the frustration with the scripts in this movie that you have this. I don't even want to call it interesting, but better than what's going down on on Earth. Like, I understand you have to show what the stakes are on Earth with what's going on and what the mission is in on the moon. But or I guess what am I saying in the moon? Um, you? But that's why I keep saying like, like, why? I don't care when they're being chased by this thing in the moon. Why do I have to keep getting flashed back to the moon then? This entire plot, like you said, with the the burglars that are trying to chase them, with the Lexus commercial and the fast and fast, too fast, too furious chase scene that happens in the middle of this movie, like they kept taking away from any momentum they have to try and make sure you remember that these other people are in this movie, not that their story continues, but that they're in the movie, and it's why, like, man, I know you don't like Independence Day as much as I do. <laughs> But it's why, like, when they're cutting back and forth between what's going on with the ship on Earth and what's going on with Goldblum and Smith in the planet, in, in the spaceship, in the in the mothership, like, that all works because I care about all these characters. And I cared about one, and he's on the moon. And when you give me these kids that I don't care about, this Michael Pena side story that's underdeveloped at best... That regardless of how good of a performance he is, I just didn't care have any Fair. connection to that portion of the story. And Charlie Plummer, who plays Patrick Wilson's son yeah. in this movie, is is incredibly bad. I just uh, I I don't want to dunk on a young actor, but well, like, guys, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's like a bad actor or if it's poor direction. He's not given anything to do. Yeah, or poor edit. And look, it, it's a different skill. And part of what Marvel casts for is people who can do it to act in front of a green screen and to act with nothing around you and to act in fiction. And I, I only know Charlie Plummer from, I think all the money in the world, which is the, mm. the, you know, he's the hostage in that movie. He's, he's fine. Um, I think there's something else that I know him from, but it doesn't matter. I, he doesn't have that skill. Like he can't act around CGI bullshit. Can, can I, can I vamp on the Marvel thing for a minute? Yeah, go ahead. So explain so, what happened. What so Roland Emmerich said Emmerich came yeah. out today. And I, 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 I look, we talk often about superhero bullshit and like the contrivances of it. And I, I mourn the death of cinema for adults every week on final review. <laughs> I weep at the fact that no one is ever going to see like adult movies again, stuff like stuff like West side story is just dead. You cannot make like $80 million movies for only grownups. They're just not going to go back to the theaters ever. Like we just have to accept this horrible new normal. And then it gets worse because like Netflix is going to realize that it's not worth it to invest in the lost daughter when you can just invest in like fucking Red Notice 2. Um, <laughs> that it's just like the end times are coming everywhere because making good art isn't necessarily profitable. And as bigger corporations buy up all of the artists and the artistry and, and the avenues to share that art effectively, 
it means that the pool of good art is going to shrink necessarily. It's very, very depressing. But Roland Emmerich is out here co- complaining about how Marvel and DC are using up all the oxygen in the room. Like, dude, I love Independence Day. I have a lot of respect for for things that you did early in your career when you were one of the first out directors making the types of mainstream movies that you were. But like, chill. Mm. You just made the same fucking disaster movie for the fifth time in your career. You have made some movies that are like historically bad. I'm not going to pile on Stonewall. A lot of others have. I will pile on 10,000 BC, which is the single most unpleasant theatrical experience I've ever had in my entire life. I don't walk out of movies and I came pretty close on that one. For him to be complaining about like, oh no, Marvel is making all the movies. Dude, make better movies and Marvel would happily give you $200 million to go blow some shit up for two hours. Like fucking relax. It's, it's so this weird, like clickbait culture now on, on every side from journalists, from uh, like uh, if Andrew, I want you to hold me to this. If I ever ask an actor or director in an interview, if they want to do a Marvel movie and I'm not <laughs> talking to them about a Marvel movie, I want you to punch me in the dick as hard as Francis and Ganu punches fucking Aaron in Jackass Forever. That is that is what I want you to do to me as a friend. I'm punch me in the ding dong. I'm seeing Jackass tomorrow. Don't spoil it. Okay. It's, it's in the trailer. <laughs> okay. Um I want you to punch me in the ding dong like Francis and Ganu if I ever Deal. if I ever do that because it's disgusting and it's all because everything is algorithms. Like people search for Marvel on Google. So everyone has to have Marvel and the stuff they talk about. And it's just so sad. Like, don't ask the question. If you're there to talk about tick, tick, boom, don't bother fucking Andrew Garfield about Spider-Man No Way Home. Talk to him about No Way Home when he's there for No Way Home. Please, for the love of God. I'm sorry that I'm venting about this, but Roland, you have brought this out of me. God, like, Jesus Christ, make a better fucking disaster movie, and then people will let you do what you want. Like, if you make these things make fucking money, they will let you do whatever you want. If you go to Netflix and say, hey, guys, can I have $200 million to shoot in a fucking warehouse and make a movie that looks like dog shit? They're going to be like, oh, yeah. Hey, why don't you go hang out with our buddy Ross and Thurber Marshall and you guys can work on Red Notice 3 together. Like it's there for you if you want it to go keep making the movies you're making. And you find the way you've gone to China twice now to get your $100 million to make this and to make Midway. The money is there for you to make the things that you seem to want to make because you wrote this fucking movie. Like you made Anonymous, they let you do that. You made Stonewall, they let you do that. You're not the director that's being pushed out by all of this that's happening. So fuck off on complaining about Marvel. There are art house directors who actually are doing like credible work who are losing avenues to do it. Meanwhile, you're eating $150 million to make this dog shit and then fucking complain about the actual like good work that the craftsmen are doing in fucking Marvel and DC movies. Like every episode of Peacemaker is better made, better produced, has better lensing, better writing, better CGI and better performances than every single second in every movie you've made in the last nine years. Get it out. (laughs) No, I'm not even done. I'm just I'm so this movie has has hit me in such an unpleasant place. I'm I'm so I'm so unhappy about this conspiracy theory thing. And then Mm -hmm. for for him for Emmerich to play the victim when this is the product he's coming from makes me sick. Well, I'll be honest. Oh, God, sorry. No, the last thing I'm going to say is 
dunk on Marvel all you want. When Marty dunks on Marvel, I laugh. I think it's hilarious. Great. You know what? When Martin Scorsese takes a shit, he loses more film knowledge than I could ever imagine having. <laughs> when Ridley Scott fucks somebody, he sweats out more movie knowledge than I will ever have. Like, I, I just, when Ridley Scott says Marvel can fuck off, I listen to Ridley Scott, but Roland Emmerich, you have made dog shit populist movies for 20 fucking years. Chill. The imagery that you put in my head now with Ridley Scott. Um, wow. Um, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't know about that quote and I knew that, that he said a thing and you were going to say it on the pod. And yeah, like there's, there, there are legitimate complaints from people doing good work that I, just don't get the eyeballs. And, you know, we were, I feel like we were hinting toward a narrative that, well, there's still COVID. It's the winter. People aren't going to movie theaters. You can blame the box office return for these movies on that. Then Spider-Man happened and it's like, what the fuck? And now it's, it, there's a growing frustration among the industry. So I empathize with everybody except Roland Emmerich. Cause when this comes out, it's like, wait a minute, like you're complaining Like you got a budget that is bigger than a lot of these other people are getting. Um, so yeah, I it, it, think it knocks my score down a little bit too, hearing that. Um, like okay. what, what's, what's Maggie Gyllenhaal going to get to make her next movie? What did, yeah, what, did Lost, what did Lost Daughter cost to make? $2 million. It's fucking great. It costs pennies and she's going to beg, borrow and steal to make whatever she chooses to do next. Like, it, 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 will any American studio give Joaquin Trier like $150,000 to make a movie? The guy just made a, a masterpiece in Worst Person in the World, which you should go see this weekend instead of <laughs> <Yes>. Moonfall, please. <laughs> just made a masterpiece. No one's going to give him any money. It's all so broken. And you're complaining when you have 150 million fucking dollars. So let's get to scores. What was your, what out of 10 on Letterboxd, what would your score be for Moonfall? I, I don't I don't know how to score it. I, I said a three earlier in the day today on uh, a critics group, but I'm going to drop it to a two. And I just it's entirely for my affection for for Pena and John Bradley. But it's a two and I don't feel good about it. So I was at a three also earlier today. You just gave me some new context. So I will also drop it to a two. And it's one point for John Bradley. And one point for the fact that in a little behind the scenes for my other gig at Nick's Film School, uh, we do a pregame show now for Patreon. And Jeremy, we were talking about uh, American arenas that you've never been to that always wanted to go to. And when Staples Center came up, I was like, it is there is a hint of like frustration that it's not called Staples anymore, because regardless of whether it's still the same building, it's a different name now. And it's like the closing of a chapter. And for me, that means something. And John and Jeremy disagreed. And Jeremy's like, the Chrysler building's not called the Chrysler building anymore. And I was like, yes, it is. And then we checked the internet and I was like, yes, it is. And then the the confirmation I have is at the end of this movie, <laughs> they call the Chrysler building, which gets destroyed and ends up on the other side of the world. They call it the Chrysler building. So I was able to win one over on Jeremy, one of the smartest people that I know. So that's my other point that I'm giving this movie. This is a two out of 10. Uh, would this change anything for your final review of Independence Day? I would have said fewer nice things about Roland Emmerich. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say. Uh, me neither. I, I think this guy has done one very good thing in his career. 
Um, it's, as a director, I think as a person, I, I, I quite admire his activism, which is why I'm there for you on the activism trail. Don't know if I want to go see any more of your movies. Um, anything else you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Us. Come to theadventuredreams.com and read my words there. I did an interview with Anders Danielson Lee, who coincidentally stars in The Worst Person in the World, uh, which I think you should come listen to and you should really go see that movie, please. Uh, yeah, also go see Jackass. It's awesome. Yes. Um, follow me on Twitter at Movies. Thank you. Yes. Follow our pod on Twitter at Final Oh, that too. Pod. Yes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew J. Claudio underscore. You could, if you dig this show, head over to iTunes and drop a five-star rating and a review. Thank you for listening and tune in, as always, for another final review. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com